You are listening to ACPN. Good evening, America. Welcome to Sequence 115 of Adventure Club Podcast. I am John Galbo. I'm joined this week by Matt Neslanik. We have a fantastic show lined up for you today. We have special guest Dante the Comic. You might have seen him. He's been in over 40 TV shows. He's been a cast member of Last Comic Standing. He's also done a lot of uh, USO shows. He's also a warm-up guy for movies, which is pretty cool, and he's going to share all of his experiences with us tonight. As always, you can visit us on the web at theacpn.com. Please, if you have a chance, go to iTunes and please give us five stars, and also check out our Patreon for cool perks if you donate $1 or $5 monthly. Again, thank you for tuning in to Adventure Club Podcast, and I hope you enjoy the show. And you're probably going to see Ron Jeremy any minute because we were supposed to meet now. I thought this would all be over by now, so he'll be showing up any minute. Oh, wow. Oh, all right. Well, I always wanted to say hi to Ron Jeremy. So yeah. Cool. I also have a newest – someone uh, wants to apply to be my new assistant. So they're coming over at 6 also, but we'll make all this work. Well, yeah, yeah, just, you know, we don't have to chat for too long. Just, you know, when, when you're ready to cut out, just tell us, you know. I'm done. So what do you look for in an assistant? Uh, someone who really wants to learn and grow because I think, you know, if you work for an entertainment company, I own an entertainment company. If you work for an entertainment company, you're usually looking to move up the ladder. So maybe you come in with dreams of being an agent or you have dreams of being a manager or maybe it's totally different. Maybe it's just you want to learn the movie business and figure getting in at this level is it less scary start or less degrading than just being a PA at first or something. Right, right. I know. I took a, uh, I was studying to be in media production. I took one course. Although PAs in LA pay more than most jobs. Right, right. Um, I was taking a class and I asked them, you know, how do you uh, start out? You know, what if you don't have any skill? And they're like, well, you could start at a PA, you could be like a office management. So all I know about uh, being a PA, of course, is what I've seen on TV, and it seems like it's quite the demanding job. Is it as is it the horror job that you see on you know Entourage and other shows? I don't know. What do I know? Uh, I have friends that do it. They you know it can be bad at times if they're making you drive all over LA in traffic and stuff like that. I'm sure it's bad. And then there's other times where your only job is just to secure a street, you know, while they film. And that's not a terrible job, you know. But what we're looking for we're looking for assistance to our business. We have so many clients. We I also own this management company, and so I have six clients, including Ron Jeremy. And uh, so I'm I'm busy working on those clients all day and doing stand up at night. That's pretty awesome. Very cool. So something I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, your IMDb IMDb page and everything. It says. Warm-up comedian. What exactly does warm-up comedian entail? So, okay, so warm-up for movies. I'm the only one in the world that does this for a living. Um, And I guess by a living, I shouldn't say that, but I am the only one who does it. Um, But it's uh, anytime a movie has like 10,000 extras for like a baseball scene, they only pay like 100. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's, you know, different companies that they hire that can fill up a stadium with 10,000 people who will do it for free because these companies just have all these people signed up on lists who want to do extra work so they can see Tom Cruise or Adam Sandler or whoever they mm -hmm. want to see. Um, but those people are free to leave at their own free will at any moment. So what they do is they bring me in for the 12 hours that they're filming or eight and I entertain them, but they also give me gifts to give them like little DVDs during the day I pass out, stuff like that. And then televisions, cars, things like that for the raffle at the end of the day. So if you, you know, it's easier to buy a car, raffle it off at the end of the day, instead of paying 10,000 people a hundred dollars. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, you're getting, you're getting something back. Right. I've done a little extra work in the uh, DC area here in, in Baltimore and uh, they, no one's raffled a car off here. That's, <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, it's movie sets. I've done it all over the country. I did it in uh, Pittsburgh for Dark Knight Rises. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. I was on the football field that was set up to blow up. I've worked on like 60, 70, 80 giant movies. Spider-Man, uh, Man on the Moon, Notorious. Just worked on giant ones lately. I've done all the Ted movies. I do most of the Adam Sandler movies. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's really cool, man. Longest Yard, Pat Albert, Steve Hardy's big time. Yeah, I'm looking through some of these here. See yeah, I mean, it stops at Notorious, which was like 10 years ago. I've got 50 more credits since then. How do you, how do you, yeah, it does, actually. I'm, I'm seeing this here. Because you, all of a sudden, IMDb stopped giving me those credits. So I wrote them a long letter today saying, this is my actual job on movie sets, you know. So we'll, we'll see. Is it because they don't? like doing warm-up comic anymore imdb is kind of weird i'm it? the only one with this job why are they creating a a thing uh, like maybe because people are so confused when you say you had to ask me why does it say warm-up comic for a movie it makes it sound like i go to the movie theaters and cheer everyone up when the movie's <laughs> shitty <laughs> and I said, that would also be cool yeah you could say you can say whatever the hell you want man okay all right thank god yeah no 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 one gets offended here so that, that's kind of interesting, though. I, I, I've always wondered about that. Again, you've got, as you said, 10,000 people there. And I know being an extra, you've got, you know, they tell you to show up at this time, be ready to sit there for 12 hours. It might be in the sun. Right. Um, they do uh, House of Cards and a bunch of other shows in Baltimore. And they'll just have people stand out there in the sun for 12 straight hours. And then you have to cheer, you know, just like, okay. And here's your $20. Thank you for coming. <laughs> It is kind of cool, though, uh, just to see Kevin Spacey or, you know, something like that. There, There's something a little fun to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people like doing it, and they have fun, and they'll come back six days in a row, some of them. Um, and then, you know, they obviously feed them and stuff like that, but everybody's getting prizes, and the stars usually talk to them. It's a, it's a fun day. That sounds and like a party. It's a party, man. And, uh, you know... So that's what it is. But you know what's weird, man? I have, I have family in uh, Baltimore area, and they're always asking me, and in New York, I never play out there. I never play Baltimore. I've played there a couple of times, but it's, it's usually like some one-nighter. Is there a big comedy club I should be hitting up there? Uh, DC Improv is a, big, uh, a pretty big comedy club in DC. Baltimore's so, got its own stuff. Um, you know where I played in Baltimore one time? Some big arena you guys have. Where a lot of people throw parties and weddings. Oh, 
It's like an event center. It's like two stories high. I think I may have seen... I know what you're talking about. I, I saw Gaffigan there. I think um, so. Yeah, I, I know it just... I, I don't go up to Baltimore too much because I don't like getting all my stuff stolen. Um, it's a bit of a... Sure. Yeah, it's a great city. So huh. DC, DC isn't much better, though, so I can't really say there. Right. Um, you know, they're the, the politicians doing the stealing. All right, I, I got no jokes. Um, <laughs> so have you have you ever done uh, stand-up in New York? Oh, sure. I've performed in pretty much... I think there's only four states I haven't performed in. I, I think it's Alaska, maybe Virginia, Maine, and New Hampshire. I think are the four states I've never performed in. So you have, have performed in the district? Uh, uh, well, it's not a state, so I have not performed in the district. Good catch. Yes, it is a district. Um, but yeah, man, I have not. No, I want to. That would be nice. I've, I, I want to, you know, take my daughter there if I go. She hasn't been there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's at least two or three big venues. The uh, in D.C. that that do a lot of comedy shows. Then there's some of the smaller ones. Um, you know, D.C. Improv, it's not huge, but... Isn't there, like, a McGoobies or something? Don't know what that is. There's a McGoobies comedy club. It's either D.C. or Baltimore, I think. I'm not sure on that one. McGoobies. Um, <laughs> do you guys know about my business that I own? Uh, a bit, yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I own Golden Artist Entertainment. It's uh, We make movies and TV shows. I book comedians, and we manage, or I manage, about 60 actors, comedians, and celebrities. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I think three are adult stars, but I don't book them in adult films. More, more but do you adult. book them in? Mainstream. You know, everybody loves Ron Jeremy. He's, yeah. been, in, he's been in more movies than anyone. Like including adult and uh, mainstream, but you know mainstream. He's done hundreds and hundreds of movies. You may not see them all, but they all go straight to you know they're like horror movies with Ron Jeremy sure. one scene. Or so he know. had the cameo in Ghostbusters, the original. He sure did. He sure did. And Crank, or was it Crank Two? He's been in tons of movies. Yeah, it was Crank. Yeah, one of those Crank movies. You're right with Jason Stace. Mm-hmm. Part of that protest. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, he, and he's also been on network television a lot. I remember seeing him on Nash Bridges. Um, he was on that TV show Las Vegas. He's been in tons of stuff. Most of the time when it's TV, he plays himself. But not always. On Nash Bridges, he played just an actor. But then when he was he played himself on that TV show Las Vegas, and they were doing like a porn convention in town or whatever. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I grew up in a, and I, I don't like to admit this, but a, a very conservative Christian religious family. Um, like the Assembly is of God, evangelistic type family, but even my parents would recognize Ron Jeremy somehow. Of I, course, it, how that's like complete cross. Uh, you he know, did a good crossover. You know how it also. It, he's always been one of those celebrities, almost, and I hate to say it, but like Trump. Trump crossed over just being rich to a celebrity. Right. Like growing up. I, I always knew who he was. Besides his art of the deal, you just always saw him on TV. You saw him, you saw Al Sharpton, you saw, you know, mm-hmm. that's who you saw on TV representing New York, plus right. Saturday Night Live. And you WWE. Know? Right. Oddly enough. Right. But you know what I'm saying? So it's like uh, he has crossed over to where, you know, people might be like, well, he's that, but he sure was good in the Miley Cyrus video, or, you know, people loved him on The Surreal Life. He, he's funny he was, on stage. 
Right. He was on the number one reality show in England called The Farm, and he came in second place. Wow. Um, I didn't know that one. Half of this stuff. He holds the record for being in more music videos than anybody else in history. Because unlike a musician who's only in their own, he's in everybody's. And I've also heard, and, you know, just rumors and all, he's just a genuinely a really nice guy. Sure is. Really super nice guy. And he might be here any minute, or he's going to be late, because he's probably sleeping. <laughs> should, should I call him? Is, is it? Well, it is kind of early on the uh, West I Coast there, right? Is it okay if I call him super quick? Yeah. Sure. This will be fun, right? I'll put him on speaker. You guys can hear him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, tell my... Let's see if we can get. Hey, it's Ron. Ow. Turkey. Uh, oh, well. This is as close as I've ever come to talking to Ron Jeremy, and I, I feel kind of good about this. Well, hopefully, he'll be here any minute. Anyway, guys, so yeah, I uh, definitely want to play out there. So if anyone listening owns a comedy club in the Baltimore, D.C. area, I want to play both. Do, do you have a, a um, I, I'm not sure how these things work. I don't know the business. Do you have a size requirement? Does the venue have to be a certain size to play? or, or You know, like it's that? interesting. I think when you become so big, you, you have one of those, or at least your agent makes you have one, because they don't want you playing the improvs if you couldn't play the sports uh-huh. arena. You know, like, what's the point? Why do you want to perform to 300 people when you can do 30,000? So, sure. But do these guys do it anyway? Sure. But in their own town. Like, of course, Jerry Seinfeld is running over to work out new material every night before he goes on the road somewhere. So he's okay. at the comedy cellar or wherever. Right. Same here. You go to the comedy store, the Improv, Laugh Factory. Dane Cook, I think, is at the Improv tomorrow night. Uh, tonight, I guarantee you, half of the people you see on TV are going to be at the comedy store. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's it's it's... It's kind of where they go through their new material, but it's always local. Right. Their hometown, everybody, you know, expects, tourists expect to, when you're in New York or L.A., you go to a comedy club, it's all stars. And that's kind of how it is. It's pretty much all stars all the time. You know, even household names to people like me, people they just loved on Last Comic Standing or whatever. It's not always, you know, A-list stars, but it's like all recognizable names. Sure, sure. Could you tell us a bit more about Last Comic Standing? Because that seems to be your uh, where you began. Well, I actually started, you know, I've been on like 50 TV shows. I think I popped again, and I say again, I'll explain. In the 90s, I was, I was super famous uh, with black people. Super famous. I had oh, a sick AET. I, I was mm-hmm. the white guy on a show called Comic View. I was on TV every single day on BET. If you watched it morning, noon, and night, you would see me at least once for at least 10 years. So I was a big celebrity there. It was really crazy and cool. But anyway, so then after that, I kind of stopped that. And then I was like, I need to up my fame to everyone, not just, you know, black people. Mm-hmm. Which it wasn't, but it's mostly on BET. So I uh, auditioned for last standing and got it and it was it's scary because the season I was on other seasons even though there were pros they always made it sound like they were you know trying to find amateurs and and half were honestly half were but they would also put like you know Ralphie May on season one come on he was a seasoned veteran by that point um what's the audition for last comic standing like what is it like it's nerve-wracking you they tell you you have two minutes 
But a friend who had made it before me another year, he gave me good advice. He said, don't do two minutes. Plan on 30 seconds and plan on doing six jokes in 30 seconds. And I go, why? He goes, because, dude, all they want to hear is your first two or three jokes. After that, you're cut off. They'll tell you two minutes and you're going to plan to end on your best stuff. And they're not going to give it to you. And he was right. So it's I the equivalent of, a, of an elevator pitch. Yeah, I did three jokes, they all clapped, and I made it. That's awesome. Yeah. That was it. You just start with your best stuff and go then. Yeah. I mean, just kill, 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 kill. So with that show, how did you know? I mean, I. so it was a reality show based on comedy, right? Yeah, but that's the scary part. It's not like I'm going on Big Brother where I don't have anything invested, you know, or Survivor. This is my career. This could kill my career. That is the scariest part about this show. I've seen at least three comics go on Last Comic Standing who are great professional comics who probably killed their career because all they showed was one of their jokes and made it look like they were a bad comic, you know, just Ooh. through editing. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate to use this term, but they call it the retard reel, the people who fail <laughs> on, on the show. They always show this reel, and sometimes they will throw in a pro comic who actually killed, but he's doing like a funny, ha, 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 like that, and then they cut to the judges with their arms folded going, selective editing. Selective editing, and it's that could kill a career, so it's that was nerve-wracking, and then once you make it on the show, they're not. it's not like a sitcom where they let you film it four, four times if your set isn't good. You get one shot each time, just like Eminem, one shot. Uh, I'm serious. Like one shot, if you if you fail, it's on the air. If you kill, it's on the air. And not always because I killed, and they tried to edit the time that I lost on that season to make it look like the audience hated me. And fans went so nuts that were sitting in the audience that it was like getting press and everything that they put up the actual unedited version where I killed on the website. It's almost like you want to have someone there. Uh who knows you filming it just to back your side of things up. Well, luckily a lot of it's filmed in front of a studio audience, you know? So it's like, they all saw it and they went nuts. And now with the internet, you, all you need to do is get a group of people mad at, you know, NBC or whatever. And they take social over. justice. Yep. Mm hmm. That's impressive though. Correct. Different, uh, is, is there something with that show where they... It's so, I mean, they do the selective editing. Is there... Uh, Can I give you guys a secret? Please. Right. So here's the truth about reality shows. Of course you know selective editing, all right? Most right. people... But with this, it is a game show, too, which means it falls under the game show rules, where most reality shows just want to manipulate everything that you do. For drama. For drama. This one, they can manipulate, but they have to try to stay within their game show rules. However, they manipulate it so well that they can make sure that they get who wins, who they want. And what I mean by that is, obviously, if you show someone where the audience is voting only in a good light, and someone else always in a bad light, the guy who's in a good light is always going to win. You know, just through selective editing. However, sure. in my case, for example... Um, I won what's called the audience favorite awards. So they had to let me on the show. So the audience picked me. Well, here's what's so messed up is we filmed two days in one day. So 
basically all of us at the at the semifinals. There's 16 of us in one tent and 16 in another tent. This is day one. This is day two. Okay. Tent number one is day one. Tent number two is day two. But we're filming it all in one day. I'm in tent number one. They call me first because I'm the audience favorite. I run up on stage. Then they pick the other four. Uh, the other four run up there with me. Then they're supposed to pick five because it's a, a cast of ten. They're supposed to pick five from tent two. Obviously, I was not one of their picks, the the, uh, the producers, because they said, now, we're starting day two, everybody. They told tent one to stay there. The first pick they picked was out of my room again, which means I screwed them up by winning. Does that make sense? So they only picked four people out of tent number two. They cheated. That is cheating. I hate to say it. Well, they had their pre-picked winners already, basically? Of course. They had their pre-picked winners, and I screwed it up by winning the audience favorite. So then, but what I was going to say is, here's how these shows manipulate. We knew by January that we were on the show, okay? So in February, they start running ads coming this summer. Don't miss. Last Comic Standing, Season 5. Uh, and they show all these auditions. And they would always show a guy named John Reap first, yeah. and a guy named Lavelle Crawford second. Then they show all these people who were not in the cast, although those first two were. So the other eight of us were never shown. And then at the end of the commercial, they would show John Reap telling another joke and Lavelle telling another joke. And I, when we all showed up to this hotel, because we weren't in a house, we were just sequestered to rooms, I said to everybody, we have to get rid of Lavelle Crawford and John Reap now, while it's still up to us. And they said, why? And I said, because they're already famous. NBC made them famous from February till July. And they're like, oh, you're nuts. We would go to competitions. You know how you go like to a heckler challenge or one of those things? Everywhere when we got off the bus, I would get off. No cheers. Doug Benson would get off. No cheers. Amy Schumer would get off. No cheers. And then all of a sudden, John Reap shows up and everyone's screaming like he's a beetle. And then Lavelle Crawford gets off screaming like he's a beetle. No one had ever heard of either of them until those commercials started running. So when they basically went through... Before the whole thing even started, they had their list of comedians. They they picked the ones, but at that point, they wanted to win the show or be on the show in the cast. They legally are allowed to pick their own cast. So what they did with those two tents probably isn't illegal or against game show rules. I bet it's not. I just said it's cheating because that's not what they promised everyone. It's cheating us. It's not cheating in, you know, they can't be sued for it by any means, but... Guess who won uh, Last Comic Standing? A guy named John Reap. Guess who came in second place? A guy named Lavelle Crawford. Pretty interesting, I think. Now, that's, yeah, the, wow. that's the producers proper, or do the, the judges have any say in that? Uh, the judges, come on. They are they they can kind of get day-to-day, but I promise you they all have something in their ear, and the producer's like, yes, say yes to this one, say no to that one. So this just goes to verify everything in my head that says every reality show is just scripted BS anyway. Well, yeah, there was... Yes, they are. They are. Okay. It doesn't mean that it's all not happening. Like, if you watch Big Brother, that's real. But there's scripted stuff to it. They still have to keep it interesting. They still have to make someone wear a bikini all day and someone else wear a costume, you know, and they... Ern Troyer still has to pee in a a plant somewhere. Correct. (laughs) Of course. Yes, we know that he gets crazy when he has alcohol. Let's give him alcohol. I mean, it's all manipulation. It's television. You have these celebrities in a house for 12 days. Why are you 
not manipulating them for television. More alcohol, you know, a little coke, a little whatever else. Just put it all out there and see what happens, and then film it. Why not? That's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, you always suspect it with reality shows. They, there's nothing real about them, but when you hear it, when you have it kind of confirmed, it's it's it's, it's interesting. Yeah, man, but so what? Who cares? If, if we just followed people around, it wouldn't be interesting. But I can tell you, like, go to that uh, pawn shop in Vegas where Pawn Stars is. I doubt if you mm. they're even working there. Oh, uh, so that, that shop is a set. It's like a set, but it's... No, it's it really actually is there. a set. Oh, there, there's the store, and they made the set for where they film. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that once. I know uh, Kevin Smith's comic book show. That's an actual store, but it is a Kevin store. But he's not—he's never in it. Yeah, I—I I could walk outside right now, turn my computer around, and at the end of my street, you would see that tattoo ink where Kat Von D is. No, mm. oh, I'm sure that. I, I live right by it. The only time I've ever seen her there is when there is a curtain over the whole building because they're filming. And, and other than that, I walk past it every day, and there's glass windows, and she's never in there. <laughs> Not once, unless they're filming. Not wow. once. I mean, if if I can't believe that all the big people from Pawn Stars are actually in the pawn shop, then what can I believe? Nothing, dude. <laughs> it's that isn't real, right? I mean, look at even like those. I'm sure that a lot of these shows start off more real, but once you find celebrities in them, you have to keep them around. Sort of like you know that show where they open up a public storage place. And then oh, everybody yeah. bids on it, whatever that show Storage is. Storage Wars. Storage Tank. Wars. Yeah. Storage Wars. Same thing. It's like once, you know, at first I'm sure they picked out six people they thought were interesting. Now they can't get rid of them. Even if those people are, you know, acting shitty. Those people are stars. One guy I saw, the guy who goes, yep, 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 that guy. I saw him. He goes to the swap meet here in L.A. He brings a giant bus full of all the things signed by him or with his face on it. Or whatever, and he probably makes like twenty grand a weekend because there's a line around the block to buy crap with his face on it that he'll sign. I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I feel like it's it's the grifters make the most money in that sense. Yep. And I don't know if grifter is the right term, but well, whatever it is, whatever the term is, yeah. Uh, bohemians, us bohemians. <laughs> we figure out ways to survive every day without the, being under fluorescent lights. The boho type. Yes. <laughs> My dad always used to call me a bohemian. I'm like, what is? What do you even mean by that? He's like, just your lifestyle. You know, some people wouldn't understand it. And what, what is a bohemian lifestyle? That got me. Just the fact that we're very liberal and. Uh, I don't know, stay up till three in the morning or have dinner at midnight if we're so inclined or how bohemian. Huh? How bohemian. How bohemian. (laughs) None of that makes sense. I don't know. My dad just thought. No, I've actually. Something different. Yeah, my fiance has described a few people. Oh, but she's so bohemian. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Right. I don't know either. But I promise you it also means that some people wouldn't like me because. I manage Ron Jeremy, you know, like some people wouldn't like how much I curse. I don't know what it means. It's like a, yeah, I was going to say, I'm okay with all these things. Me too. And I don't, I don't think I'm bohemian, but these all sound kind of fun. Yeah. Why not? I've been told I'm weird, but that was from my fiance. So, well, that's okay. Hey, she's (laughs) still going to marry you. Exactly. 
then you're doing all right. So how did you get started in comedy? I mean, this is probably a question you've gotten asked a lot of times, I'm guessing. Yeah, but I'll add something to it. I usually say I started when I was 14, which is true-ish. Uh, but in reality, I grew up on a Navy base called China Lake in the middle of nowhere in California. They invented the Sidewinder missile. It was actually pretty uh, top secret when I lived there, and my dad was kind of high up on the base. But anytime a big show would come to the base, and we got the big ones because we were like, not a lot of in and outs on that base, but uh, we got like Ray Charles and all these people. But one time I saw an improv group and I already loved stand-up comedy. I was a big fan of Bill Cosby at that point. I know I had snuck in and listened to some Richard Pryor every once in a while. And so when I was about seven, I saw this improv group come to uh, do a USO show for us. And me and my little friend, we were like seven, we watched it and we said, we should do that, but do it as stand-up. So we sort of stole one of their ideas where in the middle of one of their skits, they were doing like, someone was being a television and they would turn around and say something and turn around. So he and I decided, why don't we both turn around and be like, we're flipping channels on the TV, you know? And our first joke was something like, Farrah Fawcett, hi, I'm Farrah Fawcett, and my favorite food is, and then he would turn around and I'd turn around and go, dog food, Purina, <laughs> America's favorite, you know, like, it was funny mm -hmm. to a seven-year-old, and so anyway, we uh, showed it to our class, and the lady, our teacher, made us go to every single classroom and do it, and then we were in the talent show and did it, and then other schools had us come do it, and they would do stand-up in our backyard, we'd memorize, like, Cheech and Chong and stuff, so I did stand-up for about a year when I was seven, from seven yes. to eight. Impressive. But from that point on, I always said I wanted to be a comic. I always knew I wanted to be a comic and an actor. And then when I was 14, my parents moved us to San Diego, and there were comedy clubs, and I started going. I, I Again, I was a little too nervous to do it by myself. I grabbed a partner named Gerald Wolf. We became Dante and the Wolf. We went down there and started doing it. At that age, you have to stay outside. You run in, you do your show, and you have to run out because of the alcohol. Legally, as a performer, you're allowed to be in there. You just cannot be in there for any more time than you need to be. So, hmm. it's called a, uh, I forget what the, the law is. It's a cabaret license or something like that. But anyway, you're thinking about how, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. That's my government job is to shut down places. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's not. Uh, right. Anyway, so anyway, I was... Uh, I was 14. By the time I was 15, 16, me and the wolf had broken up. I had never actually told anyone my age uh, at that point. They just knew I was underage. And then all of a sudden, I, I go, I show up one day, and Faison Love is the doorman. Do you guys know who he is? Yes. That He's name's familiar for some reason. Uh, he played Big Worm in Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big, big Perm. Big Perm? Uh, yeah, he's also in all the jobs. Movies coming to America. Yeah, uh, no, he wasn't in that, but he was definitely the uh, the boss in Elf. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Faison was he in Coming to America? If he was, I don't remember. He was in The Wire. I know that. I'd be thinking, isn't there another guy named Faison? Yeah, there. Uh, there's a something Faison. His last name is Faison. Oh, he's in It's Always Sunny. Then yeah. yeah. He's been there, he's anyway, been everywhere. Anyway, he and I had gone to high school together in junior high. We knew each other. And I knew he was only like 19. I was like 16, 15. And I said, how are you working here? And he's like, I have a fake ID, idiot. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm, 
I'm going to get one. He's like, you look too young, but I'll tell you what, in like one more year, like a year and a half from now, when's your birthday? He's like, I said October. He's like, all right, fine. Year and a half. When you turn 17, you tell them you're turning 21. So right now you need to start telling them that you're like 19 and a half. I was like, all right, fair enough. So I went and got a fake ID. I started telling them that I was 19 and a half. I waited a year and a half. By the time I was 17, I became the doorman. No one even checked my ID because I'd been babbling about it for a year and a half. And uh, it was crazy. I remember uh, someone turning to me and going, hey, man, cherish this day. You'll never be 21 again. And Faison was like, you never know. You never know. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so I became the doorman, which was helpful because I got to watch everyone come through. That's how I met, like, Sam Kinison and Andrew Dice Clay. And, uh, Kinison was, like, the first guy to take me under his wings. Really? And he passed away, and then Richard Pryor uh, let me open for him and sort of took me under his wings. And then after that, it was probably Dice and, uh, you know... So on and so forth. I mean, these were all the things that I, that I used to sneak listen to in the 80s mm-hmm. when my parents weren't home because, of course, I'm not going to listen to Andrew Dice Clay or Sam Kinison or Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Right, man, of course. I remember I got into a car accident because I just saw Ford Fairlane, and I wanted to do an impression of him for my act, and I started writing a bit in my car, and I, 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 I still remember the bit. It was called Andrew Nice Clay. And uh, while I'm in the middle of writing it, Maybe because I had to do this with my hand, oh. cigarette, oh. I hit the back of someone's car. Oh, oh. bad? Was it a bad? Uh... No, it was a. Literally, I hit my my brakes. It, three people had already hit each other, and then I was like the last guy to kind of bump. And then someone bumped me, thank God, because it was their insurance that I had to pay for. It's never your fault, then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I happened to join the four cars that it all bumped already did you get some good jokes out of it oh i did i got to use those for a good 10 years man (laughs) well worth it let me think if i can think of one uh little boy blue so i made him breakfast (laughs) i'm a nice guy I feel like there's there's a bunch of jokes you could do with something about andrew dice clay and then i took her home and then i tucked her in Right. And went to the uh, other room. This girl was like, can I go down on you? I was like, baby, I just need to cuddle. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still relevant. I, 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 it works. I'll take it. I'll take exactly. it. Exactly. So I've got one last thing I wanted to ask you about. One last question. Um, yes. Sorry. Last Yes. That, that, that facial expression, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, it's just weird looking at myself. I keep, you know. You're right there. Yeah. Right, my problem is I keep looking at you guys, and then when I see, it looks like I'm staring down. Yeah, I know. So don't, when you, don't look at me. I'm I, hideous. Uh, when you guys talk, I try to look into the camera. Oh, okay, yeah. See, my my yeah. microphone is, is this way, so I have to, like. <laughs> Can I promote some things? Absolutely. Sure. Oh, Tell sure. us about Unfallen. I'm curious about that. All right. Unfallen opens on Friday. That is the new movie that my company produced. It stars myself, Michael Madsen, James Hong. Do you know who James Hong is? He's the guy who's in every, uh, he's like the older Asian guy in every movie since the 70s. Was he's he Lil Pan? Yes. Uh, yes. I think so. Yeah. He's the one who's like, so you want to meet the golden child. And in Dodgeball. 
Yeah, he's in everything. Or no, ping, no, the ping pong movie. Balls of Fury. He's also the, the goose dad in uh, Kung Fu Panda. I don't just stay home and make noodles like a real family. <laughs> That's actually a really good impression, sir. Thanks, buddy. Mm. So he's in the movie, Michael Madsen, uh, myself. A guy named James Nassini wrote the movie. Uh, my fiance, who is, is my co-owner of this company, she executive produced it um, along with the, there was an investor. And anyway, the movie is like, a, I don't want to call it a war movie, but it is about war. I'd call it more of an action movie, almost more like Born Identity if it was in the middle of a war. So what the, what the movie is, is it's basically there's these two twin brothers in Tajikistan. They get separated in the 90s during the Tajik uh, Civil War. Right. And, uh, sorry, there's a fly. Anywho, one uh, brother gets uh, adopted by Americans. The other one's taken by the Taliban. Cut to 20-something years later. Um, they are fighting in uh, Afghanistan on different sides. And one brother ends up torturing the other one while there's a hood on him and he screams and says something that shocks him and he knows that's his brother who he thought was dead and that's when those both of them realized that they had information on the other side that lets the other side know how corrupt they were so these brothers like we have to turn the, both sides in and they escape to another country and go to the embassy and blah 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 that's Interesting. I, yeah, I, I remember reading, uh, I read up on that one, the Two Brothers thing. It's a really fun movie. It's opening in theaters, I know for a fact, in L.A. this week, but I don't know where else, even though it's my movie. I've just got 50 other things. Now, when you say fun, is it, is it like, I mean, the whole thing with the, the torture and all that, is, is it more of a, like an intense drama? It's an intense drama, dude. It's not a comedy. Like... You know, I, I mostly make comedy movies. That's, you know, the last one I made was called Bro, What Happened, starring Jamie Kennedy and Bobby Lee. Um, this one is, uh, it's intense, man. It's intense. I play like a corrupt captain that knew this guy from when he was in the academy. And now I'm over there during the war and I request him because he's, I know he can speak the language. And so I need someone who can go in undercover. And it's, uh... One of those kind of movies, man. Like, and there's okay. you know, intense music the whole time. Oh, that's, that's I'm, I'm, this sounds like something I'd, I'd really be interested in seeing. Honestly. Yeah, you guys should watch the trailer. Just look up "Unfallen Movie" on YouTube. Oh, you yeah. can watch there, or put it up here. Why not? I was gonna say we'll definitely have yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah, great. "Unfallen." Make sure you guys watch it, and it'll definitely be coming out on DVD and and be on everywhere. Amazon. You you know iTunes, uh, Netflix, hopefully Showtime or something. Okay, yeah, and this this kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you. The, the last question, like, so it looks like you've done a lot with the USL. Yeah, man. I you know once we moved, I was born on a Navy base, like I told you. My dad was actually Air Force. Moved to San Diego, and I started performing on Marine bases, Navy base, everywhere. You know. Uh, and that became a big part of me because I was conflicted about joining or not. And I always knew that since I told you, since I was seven, I wanted to be a comic. And I remember recruiters bringing me in and I would tell them, hey, if you promise me, you put it in writing that I can do stand-up comedy for the military as my job, then I'll do it. If you can't promise me this, 
in writing, we're not making a deal. None of them ever did, did they? They didn't. So, or they tried to, and I'm like, dude, that's not a promise. He's like, I'll handshake you on it. I'm like, I no. will see you. Do you swear? Once I military. It's got to be in writing. I yeah. swear, right? Um, so anyway, I just sort of figured I would dedicate my life to performing for the troops all the time, and I do, and I promote them and try to always, you know, do something for them. And, you know, this is the kind of country where people are so divided over, like, we're acting like people are gangs, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. Like, really, are we gangs? Are we red and blue now? Like, what is it makes no goddamn sense, dude. That's the, the that's frustrating the, as hell. It really is the bloods and the crips, red mm-hmm. and blue. And it's like, what are we doing? It's like the number one thing we should be doing is trying to help our veterans that come back with this PTSD. I mean, they're killing themselves twenty-two a day. I think twenty-two a day. Like, give me a fucking break. I think yeah. As we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night, I think it's P- they said it's PTSD day. Yeah, today has been. Which... Wow, and. And also, the, uh, a friend of mine who is a vet who counsels guys, one of his good friends, he heard, like, midday, he typed, oh, my friend just shot himself, PTSD is a bitch, and today, the, the thing was, he's passed away. Jeez. It's just rough, man, it's like... Yeah, trust me, as, oh, as someone who served, uh, I just, you know, first of all, I want to say thank you for doing all that, for all that you've done. You know, five years in the Army, myself, and... You know, my oh, entire oh, thank me, please. Yeah, thank those guys, but no, no, my entire extended family, everyone has been in, you know, military, US Army, US Navy, myself, US Army, my brother just retired, US Army. And uh yeah, no, every, everything that's being done for that is something I say thank you. Anyone who goes out of their way to do something, you know, well, for well, the USO. Man, you know, my my father in law, my, my wife's dad has Alzheimer's and he's a vet. Uh, Vietnam, and and it's like there's they're not doing anything for him because there's a stack of paperwork, you know. That's why these guys are probably killing themselves half the time. It's like they need help and no one's helping them, and they're like, you know what? That's a, that's what I get for serving my country. Yeah, it's, it's no bueno. It's no bueno. That and they've just only started recognizing PTSD for what it is. Yep, yep. Do you know that they've only started recognizing that women have ADD? In recent years, they only used to study men. How is that different? I don't know. They thought that it was like a thing that affected men more than women. Now they're starting to study it in women. Isn't that crazy? But they're just people have ADD, men and women. I know, but they always thought it was more of a man thing. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) That's a weird one. I had never heard that. but Crazy. May I list all of my social media very quickly? Is that all right? So on Twitter, I am Dante the Comic. Dante is spelled D-A-N-T-E-T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C. Dante the Comic. And on uh, Facebook, it's too hard. You'll never know my last name, but maybe you'll play this over and over, or maybe you'll show it. It's Rush Shalelli. I never use it except for business. I don't use it on stage, but it's R-U-S-C-I-O-L-E-L-L-I. R-U-S-C-I-O-L-E-L-L-I. That's how you can find me on Facebook because they don't allow you to write comic or comedy anymore. And that last name is the whole reason I don't use a last name because you can't spell it. You can't say it. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Anywho, and then on uh, Instagram, I am comic Dante, C-O-M-I-C-D-A-N-T-E.com. 
Check out my fiance at RebeccaCochin.com, R-E-B-E-K-A-H-K-O-C-H-A-N. And I am Dante, uh, ComicDante.com. Oh, it's over. We'll have all of these oh, in the shots. Yeah, we'll put all of these up when we post this. Thank God. <laughs> and uh, there you are on Twitter. I found you, and I am now following you. Sweet. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. Yes, we finally, after two, three weeks, we got this and it happened. Well, cool, guys. I'm sorry you missed Ron Jeremy, but to make up for it, I'll tell you what. Why don't you say it was fun to have me on your show on Twitter and say, wish we talked to real Ron Jeremy. And I'm about to see him. I'll make sure he follows you on Twitter. Absolutely. Oh, shit. And, and I must say it was an honor and a privilege, Dante. Thank you for coming on. Thank, yeah, you. thank you for your time, sir. Much appreciated. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, fellas. Not a problem. Come back anytime you want. Thanks, bud. Bye. All right, take it easy. All right. So that's the show. Thanks to Dante for stopping in, and you can check him out on all his uh, various social networks, uh, which we will have up in the show notes. Uh, you can follow this podcast and many others at theacpn.com. We are also... Mostly on, uh, well, we're all on SoundCloud, mostly on Stitcher, mostly on TuneIn. Uh, Matt, you have anything you want to plug? I don't at this time. Uh, you know, talking to Dante, it was a hell of a good time, and that's uh, a person I now respect a lot more than I, I, I knew before. So Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome, dude. I hope Thank you, Dante, for coming on to our show. Hope we can have him back soon. Um, our various social nets, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, uh, you could find on theacpn.com. You can also email us, podcasts at theacpn.com. Um, oh, Patreon. Yeah. Um, if you have a dollar, if you have $5, and you want to hear more cool podcasts like this one, Adventure Club or Drunk on Disney or Flux Capacicast, any of any or all of the above, all of our fine prod products that we are hosting, Please go to our Patreon, which is also on the acpn.com. If you donate $1, you have our undying admiration, as I've been calling it. Uh, we will promote promote you to the moon and back. FYI, special thanks to Marcus Cohen and Jonathan Navarro and many others. And uh, $5, you can get more. We are going to start uh, as of July, I want to say 5th, we're going to start... Uh, giving you exclusive podcasts that you may not hear on iTunes. We're going to give you some new stuff. We're going to give you some old stuff. Uh, and a cool little... Uh, we'll follow you on Twitter, and we're going to give you a cool little uh, membership card. So $1 or $5 a month. Patreon, theacpn.com. Uh, we'll love you to death if you even do $1 a month. We will indeed love you. Yes. And I think that's everything for the that's week. That's all I have. Yeah, we'll be back with another edition of Adventure Club. Until then, good night, everybody. Good night, folks.
B-E-N.